This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, recovery, and redemption. We share our experience, our strength, and our hope. Tonight's episode is episode number 49 ordinary people. Before I start, I'd like to cover a few housekeeping items. The first being, while this is a podcast about recovery and I am a member of anonymous groups in recovery, this is not an AA meeting, nor do I hold it out as any kind of approved literature. This is instead a compliment to your 12-step recovery program, or it's a complement and a supplement to your recovery as a whole, and I hope that it can be a placeholder from time to time if, if you're having trouble getting to a meeting or you just need a, a little bit of some experience, strength, and hope, or some uh, just a, a share that, that might brighten your day or just be like that candle in the darkness. Number two... I'm not a medical professional, I'm not a healthcare provider, so nothing that I say should be taken as any kind of gospel regarding mental health. I am someone who has uh, been the beneficiary of a lot of mental health over the years, and I do very much encourage everyone to have a mental health program that is part of their overall recovery program, but I'm not a doctor, and I can't give medical or healthcare advice. And... and (laughs) And it probably wouldn't be any good if I did. Um, Number three, this is a free endeavor. This is a charitable endeavor. This is an act of service. This is not a podcast that is designed to build my brand or seek advertising. I will never solicit nor accept any kind of donations or contributions or advertising because this is a pure act of service on my part. My benefit is that I get to tell my story on a format and a platform, and hopefully it helps just one person. If it does, um, my job is done. I would love to see it grow. I would love to see it become something that is um, bigger than it is right now, but if it doesn't, that's fine. My main purpose is to help others, and in so helping others, I help myself but not in a commercial sense. So this is a pure act of charity in my estimation. Number four, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. You can reach me. You can reach out to me. You can comment to me. You can criticize me. Do whatever you need. I would love it if you did it in a constructive and kind way. You can reach me at Gregory B, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y, letter B, at extravagantpromisespodcast.com. Um, or at Extravagant Promises Podcast on Instagram. You can DM me there, or you can leave a comment. Uh, don't don't worry about that. I promise you I will protect your anonymity, and I will honor that. I ask that you do the same for me, and I know you will. And I've never had an issue with it thus far, and I hope that anybody who um, is listening understands that 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 is sacrosanct. You know, we must always protect one another's anonymity and, um, and 
and the vulnerability that we express on these um, in the rooms. So with that said, episode number 49. Now, let me just say that I have um, been speaking on occasion about a book, about a book that is pretty important, I think. And it's been a, it's, it's, I don't know if it's widely read or if it was ever even really discovered. Um, Please forgive me for repeating myself, but the, the book is called The Homely Virtues. And it says John Watson, DD. I have not interviewed, I have not investigated what DD stands for. I suspect that it is some sort of a uh, title, um, maybe a ministerial minister of some sort, maybe, you know. Um, but it was published in 1903 in London. And I was able to come across a copy of it. Interestingly enough, on the cover of the copy that I've got, there is, it says, The Homely Virtues. Ian McLaren, comma, John Watson. Some of my research has suggested that this was, in fact, the same person. Um, I guess back then you, you went by pseudonyms. I know they still, sometimes authors do that now. But the way that I came across this book was that I was, I was wondering whether the phrase, be kind, every man is fighting a hard battle or a terrible battle or something like that, um, I was wondering if that, and, and, and you know, the bumper stickers on the cars all say Plato. And I was wondering, is that true? Did Plato actually, how would we know? And it doesn't sound like something Plato would say. And I've joked around about this on podcasts before, but, you know, I had a friend uh, who was a jujitsu teacher of mine who would make memes that had, you know, Mother Teresa and, and it would say, you know, every man for himself kind of thing or, you know kill or be killed, you know, things like that. And, and, and I wondered if kind of the same thing hadn't happened with, uh, with old Plato. And, you know, you see these, these, these quotes that are attributed to Gandhi and, you know, and, and, and nobody ever bothers to research them to say like, did, did this person actually say that? Were they even alive when such language was used? Um, if you're talking about antiquity or Western civilization, you, you think, is that even, you know, how was uh, history recorded at the time? So um, so I did a little research, and I found this, this excerpt called Courtesy, and it really goes to the Christmas spirit, in my opinion. And it's always moved me deeply, and we will get to that in a future podcast. I've read about it before, and we've talked about it. But, but I, I decided not to leave well enough alone and stop there, and I went ahead and found this book. And it's called The Homely Virtues by John Watson. And the first pair, the first uh, chapter or prequel, I suppose, or prelude is called Introductory Ordinary People. And that is going to be the subject of today's podcast. I'm going to read it and, and I will pause along the way and comment uh, where appropriate. And again, this is all within the rubric of recovery because I believe that that these these ancient we say ancient I mean 1903 isn't ancient I guess but you know these texts that were that were coming around in the decades before and and after Bill W formed Alcoholics Anonymous and wrote the the book as we call the Big Book, um, which you know had I, I'm not a an AA historian I would love to become one. Um, but there were a lot of great books 
that have been written at those times. And some of them have to deal with business and, and psychology, but they all, a lot of them really do have a vein running through them of that in my estimation addresses our common culprit, which is the space between our ears and the, that dis-ease, the restlessness, irritable, ir- irritation, irritability, discontentedness, and the ability to find a common and, and conscious contact with a, with a God of our understanding and to live a good and wholesome life, you know, that to me is the essence of recovery. It's the juice, so to speak, not just stopping drinking, not just stopping using, even though that is in and of itself, sometimes the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. And that is awesome. You know, I'm not suggesting that a recovery has to have some spiritual component or a lesson for living or a program for living. But I would suggest in my recovery program that having a having having a method by which you can live your life, um, having a blueprint for living is, is where the great, you can turn, uh, just surviving and, and white knuckling abstinence into a life worth celebrating, you know, a life that you celebrate that you are so grateful for. And that's the purpose of this podcast is to explore those topics and, and all topics in recovery. So the first I bring you is, is um, the first chapter is Ordinary People. It sometimes occurs to one that as there are so many philanthropic societies in our day and another would make no great difference, it might be useful, as well as kindly, to establish a society for the protection of ordinary people. Its subjects would be all persons above the age of 21 who have never had never written a book, nor a magazine article, nor a pamphlet, nor a letter to the Times, who had never stood for Parliament, nor addressed a political meeting, nor taken the chair at a charitable gathering, nor moved a vote of thanks to a speaker, who do not hold any view entirely their own on the doctrine of Christian church, or the origin of the Bible, or the relation of the sexes, or the division of property, who are not distinguished players at anything, nor brilliant conversationalists, nor wickedly sarcastic, nor unprinted poets, persons, in fact, who do their daily duty and pay their debts and act a neighbor's part and speak about the weather and go to church, persons who are not original nor brilliant nor erratic, who are neither inventors nor reformers nor cranks, nor anything else except law-abiding, tax-paying, housekeeping, kind-hearted citizens, commonplace people. And I'll, I'll, I'll pause there for a second to say that one of the most enduring and moving parts of my program came pretty early in recovery when I was read a segment of the 12 and 12. And it is actually in the 12th, uh, the 12 and 12, and it was in the 12th uh, step itself that I'm going to find it right now and I'm going to just make reference to it. I won't read it or belabor the point. But um, here we go. At the end of step 12, in the 12 and 12, which is a remarkable book, I, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and read the, 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 
the paragraph because it it, it 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 may be other than the promises themselves the extravagant promises you know it it may be in fact the most powerful part of the entire all of the written literature of aa for me and what it did for my state of mind and my recovery and it said still more wonderful is the feeling that we do not have to be specially distinguished among our fellows in order to be useful and profoundly happy. I mean, weren't we all looking for that? Aren't we all looking for that and striving for that to be useful and profoundly happy? I don't know that before I came in the program, I ever had a single day of my life where I was profoundly happy. Not many of us can be leaders of prominence, nor, prominence, nor do we wish to be. Service gladly rendered, obligations squarely met, troubles well accepted or solved with God's help. The knowledge that at home or in the world outside we are partners in a common effort. The well understood fact that in God's sight all human beings are important. The proof that love freely given surely brings a full return. The certainty that we are no longer isolated and alone in self-constructed prisons. The surety that we need no longer be square pegs and round holes, but can fit and belong in God's scheme of things. These are the permanent and legitimate satisfactions of right living, for which no amount of pomp and circumstance, no heap of material possessions could possibly be substitutes. True ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the deep desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. Woo! When I heard that, it just... I mean, torched me. It was so important because I thought I am the living the opposite of all those things. And here it is. And so that's when I, when I started reading this and I was like, man, this is, you know, when, when was the big book written, you know, in the thirties, um, maybe later, you know, I, I gotta, I, I've gotta, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the dates, but I know that the 12 and 12, I think was written in the, mid 50s um but i may be wrong on that anyway i just think about this connection where it says there's no great and 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 so here we we continue um you know it's a commonplace people they endure great wrongs in our day and no one is trying to redress them although the world is going crazy with sentiment no great man of letters has commonplace people within his horizon the modern writer elaborates for the elect who can admire his precious style. Thoughtful preachers, I mean, think about social media. Thoughtful preachers talk over the heads of plain folk and address themselves to what are called the thoughtful, who are understood to be always wrestling with high-class problems or giving themselves to amazing missions. Art, if the painter wishes to save his reputation with superior critics, abandons scenes of homely life and simple human motives and labors on pictures which have to be explained like prize puzzles and might as well be painted for the Martians as for the average man of this world. The ordinary person is ignored and browbeaten and made to understand that his conversation is a stupidity, that he himself is a weariness, and that unless you can sparkle however feebly, you have no reason for existence. I'll pause again. I mean, my goodness, is that not exactly what we're talking about when our young people and, and ourselves, when we look at social media, I mean, this that we, we, we feel ordinary, we feel ignored, browbeaten, and made to understand that we're stupid, that we are a weariness, and that unless we can sparkle, however feebly, we have no reason for existence. And doesn't that, at the heart of our disease, 
our, our lack of our discomfort, my discomfort, my unease with just being an ordinary person and profoundly happy and just seeking that. The ordinary person feels his position, and although it may seem amazing in a creature of lower organization, it is, qu- is quite as sensitive as the bright people who have the wonderful ideas and say the striking things. It is pathetic to hear him explain, if he be up in years, that we old fogies are out of it now and that the young people know everything. And if he is still young, that he is not a clever chap, but that there is no use my trying to make a, take a hand in conversation. Yet the old man may have done a good day's work in the world, and the young fellow may have a level head. And both may be of far more value than people whose tongues never cease and who have a windmill in their heads. So I want to make a plea for ordinary folk who are good and for ordinary ways of goodness. It is a consolation for an ordinary person to remember that he belongs to the vast majority of his race and that if he be outdistanced in talk, he will succeed in the vote. Out of a hundred thousand inhabitants in a city, only a handful would be recognized upon a public platform, and out of that handful, some were not known yesterday and will be forgotten tomorrow. The great man of one town may never have been heard of in the next town. His fame does not extend two stations along the line. A few men have a national reputation, but it is always a question of argument whether this or that great name will survive its generation. A century in history only adds some score of names to the immortal roll of the ages. When the generations pass across the stage of time, we only identify a face here and there, a Moses, an Alexander, a Paul, a Luther, a Cromwell, a Napoleon, a Washington, a Newton, a Darwin, a Faraday. And the others, perhaps great in their day and doers of great marvels, are now reduced to shadows, to the level of the unknown. Perhaps an ordinary person may find comfort in the fact that, after all, nameless people have done some of the great works of human history. Who made the first flint knife? Who first cultivated the land? Who first constructed a boat? Who first lit a fire? Who invented the alphabet? Who first struck on the idea of numerals? Who first established government? Who carried out the first barter? Who built the first house? No one knows. And those were the great inventors and pioneers of the race. And beside, and I think just, you know, this is an antiquated book, but I say when they say race, they're talking about human race. And beside their achievements, many great discoveries which have won men fame and rank are not worthy to be compared. What is the inventor of a reaping machine to the man who first sowed seed? Or the inventor of the steam machine to the man who first put out to sea in his own boat? Besides, when you come to extraordinary men, who write their names on the pages of history and before whom we all justly bow, how do we know there was not an ordinary person behind them who has to divide the credit? Bunyan gave us the Pilgrim's Progress, but we do not know the names of the good old women whom he heard talking about religion as they sat in the sun and whose words gave a new direction to his life. Lord Shaftesbury will long be held in honor in England for a social reformation that he wrought. But place, if you please, Lord Shaftesbury's nurse, who taught the lonely child the principles of godliness. 
The hall rings with applause when a distinguished scholar, distinguished scholar, obtains his degree. But what of the country schoolmaster who first inspired him with the passion for learning? The multitude talk of a distinguished career. They do not think of the man's father who toiled and saved and sacrificed himself that the lad might have his opportunity. What of the great man's mother, whose name is not buzzed about in the marketplace? A very ordinary woman, yet she was the mother of this distinguished man. She nursed him, she trained him, she comforted him, she inspired him. It is possible that this ordinary woman, as you judge her, gave him his brains. He stands upon her shoulder and is seen of all men while she is unseen. Every famous life is raised upon the lives of others as a Venetian palace rests upon the piles beneath the water. What also, one may ask, could the extraordinary people do without the ordinary? It is the enthusiasm of a nation which places a statesman in power and enables him to carry out beneficent laws. It is the patience and courage of the common soldiers which give the victory to the general. It is the skill of artisans which secure the success of the capitalist. It is the audience eager and responsive which inspires the poet. The prosperity of a country depends on the millions of people who are doing their tale of work every day, bringing up their children in respectability and religion, and discharging humble household duties and resisting everyday temptations. The trend of national life depends upon what a multitude of people are thinking and feeling and wishing and striving, and the goodness of the commonwealth is made up of the character of the innumerable number of undistinguished folk. We may not be philosophers, nor travelers, nor statesmen, nor, statesmen, nor conquerors, yet we ordinaries have our own sphere. We are the soldiers in the army which won the battle. We are the multitude to whom the thinkers spoke. We are the voters by whom the statesmen legislate. We are the force of which historians write. There are thousands of volumes containing the record of births in the archives of the Registrar General, and the keeper is accustomed to show a celebrated entry here and there. But all the pages of all the volumes are filled with names, and each name represents a person who has been born into the world and in many a case has lived to old age and has done his piece of work. Without this nameless and innumerable multitude, there had been no work and no human, I'm putting in the word human race. Can anyone be sure who is doing the most valuable and lasting work or how the accounts are to be struck at the close of the day? Does it follow of necessity that a woman who makes clever speeches on the platform is rendering greater service to her generation than the house mother who has guided her household well and secured the peace and comfort of home to her husband and children? Can the minister who preaches to thousands in the great city be certain that he deserves more of the church than his country colleague who is quietly building up the character of young men who shall by and by make the strength of the city? Is a brilliant writer of great gain to the commonwealth than a silent merchant who has extended its commerce to the ends of earth and filled a thousand homes with plenty? It is impossible to say. It is not necessary to make comparison. It is sufficient to remember that fame may not always mean value. Oh, gosh, I just want to like highlight that if I could. Fame may not always mean value. And that the soundest work in the world may be done by obscure people. 
When all has been said, it remains that the one thing we are called upon to do and the one thing for which we shall be judged is our duty. There is some particular work which lies to everyone's hand which he can do better than any other person. What he ought to be concerned about is not whether it be on a large scale or a small, about which we can never be quite certain, nor whether it is going to bring us fame or leave us in obscurity, an issue which is in the hands of God, but that we do it, and that we do it with all our might. Having done that, there is no cause to fret ourselves or ask questions which cannot be answered. We may rest with a quiet conscience and a contented heart, for we have filled our place and done what we could. The battle of life extends over a vast area, and it is vain for us to inquire about the other wings of the army. It is enough that we have received our orders and that we have held the few feet of ground committed to our charge. There, let us fight, and there, let us die. And so fighting and so dying in the place of duty, we cannot be condemned. We must be justified. Brilliant qualities may never be ours, but the homely virtues are within our reach. And character is built up not out of great intellectual gifts and splendid public achievements, but out of honesty, industry, thrift, kindness, courtesy, and gratitude resting upon faith in God and love towards man and the inheritance of the soul which ranks highest and lasts forever is character. I mean, you know, I feel like, and I'll probably post this is to, to, to along with the show notes, so to speak, is that I feel like if I read nothing else this year, 2021, or really having read this in 2020 again and, and really studied it and shared it with my listeners, our listeners, ordinary people, the prelude to a wonderful book of homely virtues. But my goodness, that is just, that that is my disease writ large. That is the, 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 the salvation writ large in exquisite detail that trying to be more than we are and just, you know, that, that when you think about that passage in the 12 and 12, the, the true humility, true ambition, true ambition is the deep desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. And, and then to see what, what is written here as in 1903 I just I'm I'm speechless still and and we think about about how that interplays so let's talk for a moment about how that interplays with recovery obviously I've connected it to the 12 and 12 and I've connected it to the disease I I don't know who this may speak to out there in the program I just know that it speaks to me and you know, where it says it's the audience eager and responsive, which inspires the poet. I spent my life trying to be the poet, you know, it is the patience and courage of the common soldiers, which give the victory to the general. I spent my life trying to be the general, um, and, and not just being a man among men, 
a partner among partners. I was always that guy. You know, the I always I've quoted this on this podcast before, but it's the Waylon Jennings song. There's one in every crowd for crying out loud. Why was it always turning out to be me? You know, that's that to me is where my disease took me was instead of just saying, look, you have a duty and here's this small piece of ground and live it and fight it and die on it. You know, it was like, let's worry about tomorrow. Let's worry about next month. Let's worry about all these things that are just, they're gossamer, gossamer wings. They're not solid. You know, it is enough that we have received our orders and that we have held the few feet of ground committed to our charge. I wonder how many people in recovery, if they just live by that phrase alone as they're marching or, you know, you've received your orders. It's in the big book. We've received our orders. It's in the 12 and 12. We've received our orders. It's in the touchstones and living sober and 24 hours a day. And we've held the few feet of ground committed to our charge. What are the few feet of ground committed to our charge, my brothers and sisters in recovery? Those few feet are stay sober today. Don't drink or use today. What are the few feet of ground? They are go to a meeting today. Call another alcoholic today. Call your sponsor Call the people that you sponsor. Do the next right thing. And as Maya Angelou said, when you know better, do better. But just just said, that's a few feet of ground. Don't drink. Be kind. Try your best. Work with others. Go to a meeting. I mean, it's all told, you know, not doesn't take that much time. But it's a hard ground, and it is fighting, and it is dying ground. Let's let's not get around. This is what Sunza, the great martial warrior, you know, martial writer of antiquity in in China, wrote in the Art of War. You know, put your men on dying ground. This is dying ground. Is that that that's few feet of ground committed to our charge, which is recovery, sobriety, redemption. There let us fight and there let us die. And so fighting and so dying in the place of duty, we cannot be condemned. We must be justified. Boy, this just fires me up. It makes me so excited to be sober. It makes me so excited to, to share the light with anybody who wants to, who wants it. My my the brilliance of the candle is not diminished when someone puts their candle, their wick to the wick and and spreads the light it just gets brighter brilliant qualities may never be ours but the homely virtues are within our reach and character is built up so i think i'll i'll wrap up with that i mean that's a great start we're going to work through this whole book um i hope i hope it inspires everybody the same way it inspires me and that um and that we can keep working. And, and remembering, this is 1903. You know, like the Boer War is going on in Victorian England, I think. Maybe it's over, right? You know, we're almost two, you know, 15 years, not 15 years, let's say 12 years before 
11 years before World War One, and the Titanic sinks in 1912. World War One starts in 1914. Um, Bill W. doesn't get sober till sometime much, much later. And yet, here it is. These books that, that all have this common thing. Get out of your head. Get out of your selfishness. Honesty, industry, thrift, kindness, courtesy, and gratitude, resting upon faith in God and love towards man. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience could benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, today, for me, please come into my head before I do. And when you're there... Please, if it is your will, help my listeners, help our listeners, help every man and woman in recovery. Help us find the few feet of ground committed to our charge. Help us find those few feet of ground committed to our charge. And when we find that, God, with your wisdom and your direction, Help us to fight, let us fight and die, and there let us die. And so in fighting and dying, find our place of duty that cannot be condemned. That place, that, that ground is recovery. Help us to find that recovery ground. And there we cannot be defeated. Help us to just be ordinary people. Amen.